You're listening to the Coffee Clatch Crew Podcast with your hosts, Jason and Christina. Consider it your digital water cooler. I do hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew, The Stand, episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. Brought to you by ExpressVPN, the number one trusted leader in VPN. And today we take our stand with episode five, Fear and Loathing in New Vegas. They changed the name, people. (laughs) We're going to talk about that. Written by Jill Killington and Nate Lee. Directed by Chris Fisher. IMDb is at a 7.5 and Rotten Tomatoes a 60%. Now, Chris Fisher, the director for this, you may remember from The Magicians. He will also be directing the next episode, episode 6. But then we have some changes that we'll discuss later in our spoiler section. As far as the title, yeah, for a while, Jason, it was up there as Suspicious Minds. And yet again, I feel the original worked better for me. There were so many parallels and a lot of symbolism going on. Larry and Franny are suspicious of Harold. Harold is suspicious of everyone. Flag is on to Dana. We even have the song within the episode by Elvis Presley playing as Dana is taken to see Flag. Yeah, I don't understand why they would go with a name change here. I get the plan words, fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? The Vegas scenes weren't even my favorite about this episode. So to me, it was a swing and a miss. Yeah, everything about Vegas felt like a really heavy-handed, just hitting you over the head with stuff. Uh, We're going to talk about it. This is by far my least favorite episode. I do have a ton of problems. I'm going to have to lay out some criticism. It's not going to be all negative, but I was super high on the last episode. I really liked it. So this was a huge energy and approach shift for me that I'm not quite sure about why we did it. I found a good article that encapsulated some of my feelings. They said, This episode should have been an introduction to the true power of Randall Flagg, the Satan of this battle for the soul. It seems the pitch Flagg made to Lloyd in prison, don't you want the chance to get even with the kind of people who did this to you, is a much more compelling and plausible way to structure New Vegas. Turning the place into a sex club with a deathmatch arena just rings hollow. Lloyd should imbue the character of the devil's right-hand man with malice. Both Lloyd and Julie should be threatening in a way that makes us worry about Dana's fate long before she gets to flag. But they come off more goofy than dangerous. It's a show that's lost all sense of urgency, partially because it's been stretched too thin in the midsection of the story. And to begin with that portion of it, we had concerns from the beginning about the structure and the the format that we won't talk too much about again. But we thought, well, the flashbacks and the jumping around could be good because we'll get to see some of that book one plague, outbreak stuff we were really excited about. We'll find a way to lay out the characters but thin down book two, the rebuilding in Boulder, maybe some of the less exciting portions, and then just jump right over to what we're looking for, the build-up, the Vegas, the action. Instead, it feels like we're spending an awful lot of time in the book two section where there is a lot of lag and there's so much material they could be pulling from to make this exciting. Mm. I'm not sure why they're putting the focus in this area. And then we get to Vegas, finally this time, and I am super disappointed by everything that feels like a stereotype and this weird in-your-face trope that was not how it was in the original depiction in the novel. Why is it all sex-crazed people in leather (laughs) cutting each other up with chainsaws? I didn't feel like that was the kind of evil flag was building in Vegas. And Mm. the kind that he was generating was a lot more scary than this to me. This feels a little silly. 
I agree with you here. I feel that if I was going to do this and make my flag Vegas, I would be using sex as one of the main derivatives of keeping these humans happy. I think it would be sex heavy, but not like people just having sex on the floor in front of everybody. I just mean that that's one of his main tools. Like many depictions of the devil, he uses humans' desires, and sex is one of the main driving forces. But this whole pit in the middle, I agree with you, it didn't feel scary, it didn't feel, well, it didn't even feel bad. And that should be terrifying, right? You can have a fight pit if you want to use that for Tom's job, because I kind of dig that part, but make it where this is unannounced and people are a little thrown off by it, and there's a reason for a specific fight happening or something. Yeah, much like much like in the books where they were being crucified. That's what we were really seeing, the whole town forced to watch because it's a punishment for certain behaviors. And that's when the citizens start to get an idea of maybe how bad this really is. Mm. I could have seen beefing that up and having it be scary, especially with Tom involved in that role where he wasn't. That could create a sense of urgency for him that's really lacking in this episode. We don't get much of Tom. I'm not sure why. And I see what you're saying, that flag can entice people here with, you can have everything you ever wanted. You can be anything you ever wanted. It's all okay. That message, though, isn't coming across clearly to me. What I'm getting more of is people who enjoy those type of things are evil. And that's the Mm. only people here in Vegas. If you have any kind of sexual freeness or openness, if you want to do drugs. Gladiators. That, that's what makes you bad because we need the stark contrast to Boulder. Now, there were problems, okay, with the way they did it in the book. Let me just give you a clip here of what Dana said in the novel. She's looking around at Vegas and she says, none of them wore fangs. They didn't turn into bats at moonrise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hint, hint. They were also people who worked much harder than she remembered those in the zone working. In the free zone, you saw people idling in the parks at all hours of the day. That sort of thing didn't happen here. From 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., everyone was working, either at Indian Springs, we'll get there later, or here in town. They had school running. The pharmacies were open and unguarded. There was no drug problem in the West. Uh, Anyone who had seen what happened to Heck Drogan knew the penalty for a habit, and it was wise to drink nothing stronger than bottled beer. They were going to be punished severely for infractions, such as drug use, and that is kind of a weird message as well, but... It's as though the show wants to keep some of that. And thus, again, their mixture is confusing because when Flag is explaining this to Dana, he's saying the people needed order and protection. That's what I provided here to help them come out of the chaos. I don't see that at all. What I see is enhanced chaos. He says they needed to be protected from people like Garvey, the Garveys of the world. After all, look what you did to him. Mm. So the mixed message signals of what Vegas is about is also bizarre. Yeah. They do have the aspect of people need to work. Dana, for example, was working at Hoover Dam, and that is instrumental, and I'm sure one of the many instrumental jobs there. So they have workers, which I like. But you're right, that wasn't the important part. What seemed to be important was just partying all day long. I could have done with a little more of that scene with the HR type of woman who's trying to figure out somewhere to place Tom and everybody needing a job. There were some good ideas there. I'm not sure why they're choosing to focus on this other stuff. We spend a lot of time. What Dana and Lloyd are wearing and the drugs they're using and the sex games, I don't know how any of that plays in. And that's taking you 
also to the depictions of these three central characters that I feel are all wrong. Dana was a super competent spy in the books. This is part of what made her character so amazing that she was finding ways to get close to Lloyd, who was, by the way, a competent right-hand man, not an idiot walking around not knowing what he's doing. She was gathering information about his secret missions, what was going on in Indian Springs, about Flag, not just walking around asking, where is Flag?" the <laughs> whole episode. So it's this really incredible moment when she finally comes face to face with Flag. She's brave and strong. There's a lot of hype built up about it. And what she does to Flag has a huge impact. It's the first crack in his confidence that he wasn't able to get the information from her. He doesn't know who the third spy is, and she killed herself. He couldn't see any of that coming. So his response is he freaks out, and you're going, yes, Dana, look what you did. Hmm. I'm, I'm not getting any of that here, really. No. They hinted at it when she says, you can't see this. Mm-hmm. But that's it. Um I don't even like flag in this episode, mm-hmm. but we'll get to that. That's a huge disappointment. The over-the-top with the clothes and the partying, I wouldn't mind if that was just around Lloyd, if they yes. wanted to make Lloyd that character, but mm-hmm. everyone else isn't like that. The whole city isn't just partying all the time. He gets the liberty maybe to do that because yeah. of his position. I wouldn't mind that. Now, the sexual parts with Lloyd and Dana and Julie, I don't mind that either because it... You, it shows us that Julie is actually in control of Lloyd. She's not in love with him or even wants to have sex with him. She's using him. And she knows how to play that game. Yeah, problem is now that takes it away. That control was in Dana's hands in the books. Uh, that she was playing Lloyd. And okay. Julie wasn't even an important figure that came until later. I agree with you. I like the Julie character here, but it's not fitting in why we have that, how she's being utilized, why it's important. Instead, it just felt like it took away, almost as though Dana was half being forced into this sexual situation instead of yeah. purposely placing herself there mm. so she could manipulate events. So, yeah, maybe that will make a lot of sense to me further on if, if Julie is a, a more important character. As you said, there's order, there's structure. Vegas is a different kind of place. And yet, quietly, they are all intensely afraid of Flag. Mm-hmm. This is why they don't say his name, because there's a fear. He's always watching. He could show up anywhere. Maybe they're trying to hint at that with Lloyd. It's like, don't even say his name or I'm going to have a panic attack. But I don't know. It's not translating to other areas. He's up on the Jumbotron TV in the arena. He's not reacting to Dana at all. His eyes are turning into weird solar systems. (laughs) Alexander Skarsgård's really downplaying this character. And at times, that could be a cool way to go with it, but it just feels underwhelming this time when we should have a lot of fear for him. Yeah, underwhelming is the operative word. Well, and then just quickly about what's going on in Boulder. There's an awful lot of time spent there, and I don't love everything. I do think there's a lot of tension built around the dinner with Harold and Franny that's nice to up the stakes a bit, but by removing this central piece that that plotline's focused around in the book, the two diaries that I've been mentioning... Yeah that Franny has been keeping this ongoing diary all along that talks an awful lot about Harold in a negative way. When he finds it and realizes how she really thinks of him, it's sort of the nail in the coffin that he can't change. He's always going to be seen that way, and he can't get Franny. And it's what pushes him over the edge. He winds up beginning his own diary, where he's writing a lot of what we see earlier in the season, his intentions to kill them. And she finds it. 
And she brings Larry in as a co-conspirator to help her. It's not as though she, you know, hires him to break into Harold's house in some weird, I don't know how it ties into anything. They go together and the relationship they're building there is critical. So it feels like they, they left out that one big centerpiece. I guess so. I, uh, maybe their shortcut was the Harold recording Larry going into his house mm-hmm. and finding that. And that's how he loses his trust in Franny because obviously he realizes. I mean, apparently he realized something was up when he left the house. No, he, house. Yeah, he realized before, which is a leap that I don't quite know how they get there. So when he agrees to the dinner with Franny, yeah. he's already plotting his own stuff. Right, he's going to put a camera in there. More than that, and we don't want to say it here for people who don't know where this story is going, but if you remember what's going to end up happening with Harold. I don't remember. I realize oh, how much I don't remember. Dear Jay. Okay, so there's a big reason why he's doing this. Okay. He's got ulterior motives as well. So neither one of them, the trust is gone already. They're both plotting their own shit. Now, specifically how he knows they've sent somebody to his house to search, I don't know what tipped him off there. The only thing I can think of is that look he gives her when she is adamant for him to stay longer. And he gives that look like, why are you being like this? Right. You don't really want me to stay, which makes sense. But what takes you from there to someone must be at my house? Well, he thinks something's up. She wants me here longer, I guess. Would you ever suspect that of Franny right off the bat? I don't... This, it's bizarre. It's rushed. Um, and then also the stuff between Larry and Nadine. We, we missed everything I talked about where they sort of had a relationship earlier on the road. Right. He wanted to be with her. She kept saying no because she was saving herself for flag, though he didn't know that. He was trying to become a better person, and she saw that in him. It wasn't just that she thought having sex with him could free her of this. Although that makes sense because Flag only wants her if she's a virgin. Right. But it was also because she thought Larry's goodness could be the last chance for her to mm. be good. And the, the relationship with Joe, by the time they had gotten here to Boulder, Larry was with somebody new, Lucy Swan, who we don't get here. And again, I'm not sure why. Because when he turns Nadine down, he's saying, I've started this whole new life here. I'm trying to become a new person and I'm actually in love with someone. His reasoning is a little shallow and not as believable. I don't get the scene between them as much. No, his, he's trying to be a good man. He wants to be with her, but he doesn't want to just sleep with her right there. Right, because she's acting strange. Well, it's kind of sudden. I think it, as sudden as it was for us. Not if they've been on the road for months and months and now here in Boulder. It's not as though they're just establishing a relationship. Well, also might have been a mixture of that and the fact that Larry had to leave. Uh, that to do with it, to do yeah, with. they should have maybe played that up a little bit more. Had us feeling tense that time was ticking down, I think that might have played better. But we're going to get into more of this stuff in plot. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Let's go over some of the music notes because that was maybe my favorite part of the episode. I enjoyed some of them. Yeah, I did not like "It's Not Unusual" by Tom Jones. In the Vegas portion, that felt too on the nose for me. Well, I, not even on the nose. I think that contributed to the over-the-top, weird mm. Vegas, like, party! Yeah. You know, like, Black Magic was okay in the beginning. The yeah. Harry Belafonte with the panning Hoover Dam shot. Mm, I like that. 
They had Baby Count 10 by the Bell Sisters in Boulder as the Harold Franny dinner starts. Suspicious Minds, which I loved, Elvis Presley, as Dana goes up to see Flag. And, of course, the one I'm really talking about, Don't Fear the Reaper. Blue Oyster Cult, I've been begging for it. Now, played in a very different situation here, it's when Harold starts grinning that was at the a end of scene. the episode, and then we yeah. cut to the closing credits. I think it's a beautiful choice to place it there. Very good scene. And, I have to say it again, we end with evil. Every episode is ended with evil. Well-placed song. Harold is quickly becoming the star of the show. Easily. I mean, I, I hate him. I don't like him, but he's obviously the star. I feel like he's the only one they truly have figured out. Mm. And, and they're kind of revolving their show around him. It makes everything else feel a little bit weak. Stu. Stu is... I was worried about this. Yeah. He's become enough. He's got no purpose. Yeah. All of his purpose was given away to other people. And I don't mind doing that in some areas, strengthening characters like Franny. But Franny's strength, I don't, I don't even think they're portraying that properly. It's as though they're trying to give her these moments to empower her but they don't mean anything. Like she knows how to chop wood. Hmm. Why, why? I don't, they just want her to feel good, but they haven't done the work to make me feel. Franny still does not come across as a fleshed out character. I don't know who she is. I don't know why she's doing any of this. Um, and they've taken some of Stu's points away to do that, to have time for other people. So Stu is kind of a little doofy. <laughs> like in the dinner here tonight, I was thinking about it. Say you did want Franny to be with Larry in this break-in portion, and she's keeping that from Stu, which is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Larry did have these ideas about Harold that it turns out aren't true. He's followed him all the way across the country. He has suspicions as well. So they both decide to break in. Nadine's getting in the way. That could have been really tense. And it's just Stu who invites Harold over for dinner, right? Because he's not picking up on some of these things that Franny are saying is saying he's feeling the way he told her at dinner later. Maybe we're just misreading this. And he was a kid who was in love. It was unrequited. Look at everything he's been through lately. And at the dinner, Harold's maybe getting over on Stu a little bit because he's not as smart. Are you talking about the book of the show right now? If the show had gone that way in this okay, episode, gotcha. I think it might have been more enjoyable. I think so too. Instead, we just have Stu biting his tongue the whole time. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the Harold show. Mm -hmm. He's showing his acting chops, Owen. I forgot to say, uh, Don't Fear the Reaper. Love that song. It's almost ruined for me because of Saturday Night Live with uh, More it. Cowbell. More Cowbell. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, well, yeah. But it, it isn't. It's so it different, though, if you remember it from the 94. Yeah. Well, let's get into our crow's eye view. Let's talk our two areas because really now we're split and the format of the episode almost shows you how divided this good versus evil is becoming. We have our Vegas scenes and our Boulder scenes. First, in Vegas, Julie goes down to the substation to collect Dana for questioning. You know, the foreman's frustrated. She keeps taking all his best people. But the orders come right from her man, Lloyd Henry. By the way, did you know he's Flag's right-hand man? She approaches Dana, saying they know she's been asking questions. Word is you've been asking questions. Is that not okay? Depends on the question. Hmm. You've been asking about Mr. Fly. What's got you so hot and bothered to see the man anyway? Again, a piece we haven't seen here. It, it makes her attempts feel a little clunky as she just keeps asking to meet Flag. Everybody's taking notice of that. She's not remaining inconspicuous. Um, and so they're going to show her around the establishment. Well, you know what? You're right. 
it seems clunky. It seems like she hasn't been a very good spy, but I think it's all moot anyways because Flag knows. It is, but it takes something away from her character that I thought mm. we were building last time. I was really excited to see that. We got that gorgeous panning shot we were discussing. I, I wish they'd done a little more of this to give you an idea of the scope. I think this would have worked well if we had any scenes of them traveling across country to have some big shots of an empty world, some abandoned cars. Yeah. Uh, that one scene they did like that, leaving New York, where we got the bridges and all the highways backed yes. up. It gave me a sense for how many people are gone and now how many people are in Vegas, that contrast, I think, could have been startling. As it is, when we're being shown around Vegas, I'm going, why are there so many people here? I don't get the idea there's a fraction of that in Boulder. No, there's not. They have a complete army. Another thing that bothered me, and maybe because he's the devil and he has power to just create power, excuse me, you know, uh, electricity. But when they do the overhead shot of Vegas, it's not just that one hotel that's lit up. It's the whole strip. They have for sure gotten this power back up and running and had people been more organized looking. We have these jobs. We work all the time. That would have added up. Yeah, but why would you do the whole strip? Uh, I, I think it'd be go. more impactful if it's... There's the Vegas, you know, people, even if we haven't gone to Vegas in real life, we've seen photos, right? So we know what Vegas looks like lit up. There's your Vegas, but it's only one hotel lit yeah. up. Yeah. I think that's and more impactful because yeah. the, the workers would still have to be working very hard to keep that Absolutely. one established, one giant hotel open and working and never mind Hoover Dam and all the, the, because it's Vegas, the geography of what has to be continued upkeep. Yeah. I think it's more than enough. It could have also been just real world problems. Like uh, we're either going to have to take an aerial, we can either take an aerial shot of Vegas with a drone and pay the little bit of fees to do that. Or we're going to have to remake Vegas computer-wise and turn off the lights of all the surrounding buildings because guaranteed Vegas is going to be like, yeah, 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 we'll turn off the lights for all of these except for this one. But if you just need one shot of that, I think you could do it, CGI. I, yeah. I mean... Yeah, maybe I'm making up excuses. If they did this with the Hoover Dam here... That's just an aerial shot. Well, But yeah, they had to pay for that too, presumably. Yeah, but again, it's just a drone up there. Mm -hmm. So we get this, this brief scene that, like I said, I wish I'd been more, where Tom is brought to this you know, HR office, whatever it is, a woman <laughs> handling paperwork. He goes through his speech again. She is really not enthused, not having any of it. And she says to the men who brought him initially, she's got nothing for him. They remind her that anyone who comes here voluntarily is a citizen by the decree of flag and thus needs a placement. Those could have been the great models for this society. If they want to be here, they're a citizen. You will find work for anyone. They'll have these rules explained to them about the way it goes. Instead, he's just kind of told to report to the front desk at the Gladiators Hall, and we don't know what that is yet. We head over to Lloyd and Julie taking Dana up to the top floor suite, where she is brought into their sex games, kind of. Because before starting, this is the moment where Julie comments that Lloyd should maybe get himself right before he sees Flag tonight at the fights. He gets very upset. He doesn't like when she brings Flag up. He goes to collect himself, and Julie winks at Dana. This is the moment you're saying where you understand she's been playing him. She mm -hmm. doesn't want to have sex with this guy. Guaranteed she's only done it maybe a handful of times. 
where it would have been if it was up to Lloyd hundreds of times. And she just knows how to play him. She's found ways for him to think it's him. Yep. Making him freak out about flag, maybe getting him drugs at certain points, suggesting shopping, which he clearly likes as much as she does. <laughs> so they go off together to do some shopping before on to the main event. When they do that aerial shot of Vegas and they show people just on the Vegas floor having sex, doing whatever they want. It's not the sex, so this is going to be weird uh, that I bring this up. But the scene itself where everyone's in bliss reminded me of the casino scene of Percy Jackson, the Lotus Casino. The Lotus, yeah. Where you felt like you've been there for five minutes, but you've actually been there for months. Because mm, they're feeding them these lotus flowers. Yeah. Making them lose all sense. Which I really enjoyed that scene. Maybe it'd be great, you know, if they wanted to go a little bit different than the book, if there was something similar in that storyline, and that's what Flag's doing to them. He's basically putting them in a sense of bliss. Yeah, and they were sort of brainwashed in the Percy Jackson scene because they were getting things they wanted. They were turning off their sense of anything else, right and wrong, time passing. I think that could have been really good here. It is just a feeling of general debauchery. I mean, it's not just the sex. It's everything else. If you're really watching in the background that's going on, I mean, is everyone here into that? There couldn't have been other things going on that are drawing people to a place like this. I think that would have been a lot more interesting. I think there's enough gray area and intrigue in just regular human behavior. Mm -hmm. We don't have to go to the psychos. I can imagine there's a lot of humans, after the world has gone to shit, 99% of humans are dead, the people you love, you watch die... I can imagine you just mistakenly getting caught up in this crew, being desperate and clinging on to any sense of normalcy. You're warm here. You're comfortable. You're fed. But you're not evil. And that's what the books had going, right? So as soon as Trash Can Man, who we're not going to talk a lot about because we didn't see him, (laughs) weirdly, the big Vegas thing was for us to be able to get Trash Can Man, and we didn't. But... The idea of somebody who never belonged anywhere else being openly welcomed here. Mm. There is no kind of stereotype bias against anyone, against people who felt like outsiders. So this pitch that he gave to Lloyd, that Harold should have gotten, all of these people who felt like they were ignored before. Mm -hmm. Other people had the keys to the kingdom that they could never get. That, That slice of power and ability, that was the thing. And they were planting that early in this season. I was excited to see Flag go at that. Somebody like Lloyd having the chance to be on top. I could see a lot of people flocking to that. You're welcomed and you can be someone here. Mm. Yeah, you got to work hard and you got to follow the rules, which we're not seeing, but there'll be rewards for that. It just makes it more realistic. Mm -hmm. I think that would have been a better way to go than this bubble gum. And this death pit. I mean... I'm not even going to go there. So the important part is that when we see that shot, Julie points out the big fellow with the beard, quote unquote, in the cleanup crew and tells Dana the story about meeting two people on the road who made quite the pair. She's pretty sure the big man was one of them. She recognizes Tom. Kind of. Enough where we're worried for him in the future. Oh, no, Dana does. Oh, oh, yes. As she's doing this. And that's creating the bit of fear that I enjoy. I don't buy it that Julie, who's supposed to be smarter and manipulating everything here, doesn't immediately know or doesn't follow this up in some way. Well, she saw him briefly. It was a few minutes. She's 
drunk right now and did some coke. And she's really high up. You know, when they scan to him, for us, he's zoomed in. She's seeing him from way above. Um, and also she's, you know, in her own little world. I, I think it's believable that she feels something. Like, I kind of feel like I know him. She hasn't put her finger on it yet, but she may. They keep walking this line, though, with characters where they're trying to take things from the book in the original, but they want to change it, and it always winds up feeling a confused mess to me. She's either smarter and more capable in this version, and she is the one undermining Lloyd, and she's on top of it all, things like Dana and Tom, or she's not, and she's more like she was in the books and kind of flighty and self-absorbed. And Well, she is flighty. She's self-absorbed. But she is smart in the ways of getting what she wants. Tom's not in that yeah. peripheral yet. It doesn't matter to her. Who cares? What Whatever. she wants then should be a little more like in the books of, I can bring something useful to Flag. Lloyd can't because he's kind of an idiot and I'm able to manipulate him. I have this information nobody else has. But I don't think she even thinks it's valuable. If it, even if it is him, it's just some guy that she met. She doesn't know that they ended up going to Colorado. She might not even know mm-hmm. Colorado. Mm-hmm. You know, So it's not that big a deal to her. It's just some guy that she met that she shot at once. Mm-hmm. You know, Maybe <laughs> we can go as far as it's just some guy she met with another guy who actually turned me down. And she doesn't even want to think about it because maybe she doesn't get turned down a lot. Mm-hmm. Just trying to, I'm trying to add storylines it, to this. It's reaching, that's what yeah. I mean. You have to really read into it. And if, if you knew how that scene played out, it made more sense. None of this is, is quite really adding up for me. I'll tell you what I did like, and I wished we'd seen more. I was nervous when they said the character of the Rat Man would be back this time. But they were doing another gender swap. Instead of Rick Avilas, who played it in the 94, we were getting Fiona Dorif. Mm. She turns out to be the announcer here. And yeah. I loved the couple of seconds we got with her. Very she impressive the way she was dressed. Yeah. Uh, you, did you see her teeth? Yeah. She definitely does drugs. It's all of Vegas. There's a veneer of flash and... But when you look, look at closer, this, right underneath, there is something wrong. Yeah, and she was just the epitome. Also, making this more into a an event, get the people worked up. I didn't like how the bigger picture was playing out, but her character felt understood to mm. me. Uh, even though I don't think we're going to see much of her. But the big thing is she's introducing the man who made this all possible. So we're getting flag being shown to the people on this big screen TV, which, again, the visual was kind of weird. It wasn't impactful for me. I don't know why everyone's hyped about him. Flag is up in his room levitating on his own, but nobody can see it. Yeah, they can't even see that he's levitating. I wanted him to be there and levitating, and you're going, oh, that's why. You're so in Clearly, he has power. But also, they've seen him in his dreams. So that's why they're like, oh, Flag, he did this for us. Yeah, but why not have him there, levitating in the room? Oh, I totally agree with you, the impact. But I'm getting the sense that uh, Flag doesn't want to be around them. No. He's never around, unless he needs something. Uh, He's a loner. Every once in a while, though, to put on a show to impress people, to keep them hooked. I think if you're going to build this kind of flashy Vegas, that makes sense. Again, let's go on some tropes that we really enjoy when it comes to God and the devil. What if Flag yearns for attention? Approval. Approval. Mm-hmm. Love. And this is his way of getting it. Mm-hmm. 
So you see that he, just as much as he plays into what everyone else wants, he has a want in him. Let's not forget the whole tale of the devil was an angel. To to put it in quick terms, like he didn't want to play the game of God. Mm -hmm. He wanted to be more important. He wanted to be special and he got casted out. Well, why did he get casted out? And now what, since he's been casted out and he wants to feel love again, he wants to feel important. Well, this is his way. That'd be a great... Yeah, and then bring in some of those little pieces from the book. Every time he thinks he's getting close, because this has happened times before. He's been born and risen up in different areas. That brings in the flag of the multiverse, which we're not going to talk a lot about, but he is sprinkled, or the idea of him, something like him throughout the Stephen King universe, many Mm -hmm. books, he's an ongoing villain. Every time he gets close to figuring something out, something always happens to mess it up. And so he can sense it. This is going on in the books, starting here. The thing with Dana didn't go right. He can't pick out where Tom's at. He's getting frustrated. Some of those human-like qualities are coming out. Why does it always unravel? Mm-hmm. And I think Skarsgård could have really nailed that. It feels like he's being directed all wrong, maybe. I'm not sure what to lay that on. They're not using him well. I, do, just... I do like his speech. Yeah. You know, telling these people that the old world told them these things were wrong, violent sex, wanting more, but their time has begun now. And I do like the weird moment where he's talking to the crowd, but his image on the screen to Dana, it appears as though he's silent and his face turns to look at her. Yeah. It's okay. It still felt... The intention was really good. We've seen this done better in the past. And again, if he was levitating in the middle and he then he turned, it would make... Such a better impact. For some reason, that screen just felt... uh... Yeah, the visual was weird. It was another one of those wonky moments. I I think I know what they're pulling from in the books here. When Dana goes up to meet him in the suite, in the novels, she says she saw first what he looked like. He looked like a normal man dressed in denim, kind of good-looking in his 30s. And then he turned around to look at her. And he turned. And he kept turning. It was though his turning went on forever. And... As it did, it revealed more and more of him. Like there was never going to be an end to that. It's a symbol of his greater power. There's something more to flag. He's not quite the devil, but you grasp the power of him. Again, they reached for it. I just don't think they got all the way. But before she goes to meet him here in this episode, we get another scene that felt rushed that could have been great. This podcast is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Okay, so we all know how VPN can protect your privacy and security online, right? It's a virtual private network, so a secure tunnel between your device and the internet, which protects you from online snooping, interference, and censorship necessary in times of online work and untrusted free public Wi-Fi. Newsflash, if you're at Starbucks and you're using their Wi-Fi, it's kind of dangerous. I do that a lot. But if you have ExpressVPN, you're safe. But what I didn't know until recently, and this has taken my TV watching game to the next level, you can use a VPN to unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries. Yeah, that was new for me too. So over the weekend, we used ExpressVPN to binge Doctor Who on UK Netflix. Yes. Longtime listeners know that I was getting Christina caught up on Doctor Who, all the past episodes, via Netflix, and then... Doctor Who was pulled off of Netflix and we were stuck. Mm -hmm. But now with ExpressVPN, two clicks 
and we're on a UK server and we're watching Doctor Who. Yeah, it was simple. All we had to do was pull up the app, change our location to UK, refresh Netflix and good to go. See, ExpressVPN hides your IP address and lets you control where you want sites to think you're located. You can choose from almost 100 different countries, so just think about the Netflix libraries you can go through. You'll get access to video, music, social media, and more from anywhere in the world. Love anime? Use ExpressVPN to access Japanese Netflix. But it's not just Netflix. We're talking about that a lot. ExpressVPN works with any streaming service. Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. I can name one. CBS All Access, <laughs> which is the show we're watching right now on The Stand. And we had a lot of Clatchers who normally listen to our cast say, I can't watch The Stand in my country. I have CBS All Access. Why is it not available? Well, we're texting them and we're letting them know with ExpressVPN, you can now. And it's compatible with all your devices, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, Mac, Windows, Android. You can watch anywhere you want or on the go, wherever you are. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but the reason we use ExpressVPN to watch shows is it's so fast. There's never any buffering or lag time. You can stream in HD with no problem. They also have 24-7 support via email and live chat to help you with setup and any troubleshooting. And there's a 30-day money-back guarantee if you're not 100% satisfied. Here's a couple of things for me that I didn't realize until we started using ExpressVPN more. You can connect to five devices simultaneously, which when Jay and I are together is very helpful. And you can read academic articles on Google Scholar. I always have trouble finding this. There's more with Google too. You can download your files from Google Drive and Google Photos. Really, just go to expressvpn.com and check it all out. Also, listen, my mother cannot do anything when it comes to computers. So all I had to do was download it for her and it just works. It's that easy. She doesn't have to know what she's doing and she's protected as well. Now, okay, protection is super important, especially since our whole lives are on the internet. But let's be honest, it's not fun to talk about. So let me just give you a few more examples of TV shows. Star Trek Discovery on UK Netflix, Brooklyn Nine-Nine on Canada Netflix, Rick and Morty on France Netflix. The internet is ours now. And if you visit our special link right now, expressvpn.com slash ckc, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support the show, watch what you want, and protect yourself. That's expressvpn.com slash ckc. ExpressVPN, the number one trusted leader in VPN. Dana fakes losing something so that she can go talk to Tom. They go into this underground garage where Tom's pushing a cart laden with dead bodies. And she goes up to him to explain thing about the silver bracelet that was an heirloom. Tom, Smart. Yeah. And Tom says something I think everyone was overlooking as a Tom statement. Sometimes we know we lost something, but we're not sure what. And I like thinking that there was more to that and that part of him understood that even though he's not quite sure who Dana is or what she's trying to tell him here, there is subtext. And he's also offering subtext because she shoves a note in his hand. And then she's called away to go see Flag with Lloyd and Dana. And as they walk away, he unfolds the paper. It says, run. We know Tom can't read. Yeah. But I do think he picks up on Dana's urgency, her energy here, that she's trying to warn him about something. Yeah, maybe. I personally like the slow play that they're doing with Tom. I'm starting to think, and it's still a little early, so I will revisit this after we watch the entire season when we do our bonus cast, but I'm starting to think... When they were writing this script, 
they were paying attention to Harold and Tom. And so far, that's it. Meaning everyone else was kind of, were kind of pawns mm. that they can use some story from the book to, to position them to do things. But it's really about Harold and Tom. I think Tom. they think Nadine too, even though I'm not really being sold on the performance not there. not feeling that yet. Uh, I mean, we're starting to see Nadine thinks. Um, Nadine has some plans and she thinks, well, maybe that'll come to fruition. That's why I'm saying it's a little early. But at this point, I'm thinking, wow, they really just gave a shit about Harold and Tom so mm-hmm. far. The slow play that they're doing with Tom right now, I think is genius. The reason why, well, there's probably many reasons that we will be made aware of, but one of the reasons why Flag can't figure out, he knows there's three, wish I knew why, but he can't figure out who the third one is, is because Tom is staying under the radar. Mm-hmm. He's not asking, He's doing can what I a see, spy's uh, who's supposed flag? to be doing. Uh, who's Flag? Can I talk to Flag? Yeah. Who's Flag? Who's flag, 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 Just Flag. Just blending in with the society as yeah. best he can, taking the shitty job, watching everything that's going on. And watching I think- and not talking or not you know he's not actively thinking about or plotting this stuff in his mind so when flag goes in and tries to start seeing that he's not picking up anything but so this is the spy episode right the uncovering what each is up to what's going on are they being where is the judge the judge that we didn't get any background on last time we just found out here she is she's going to be the the other spy oh well we know she's Still in the desert uh, in, like, the first fence to get in. They showed an establishing shot of that? No. Flag said it to Dana before she she killed herself. Why isn't she seen in this episode? He already knows who she is. He's going to get rid of her. Or no, he's going to ask her. She's next to be asked who's the third one. Yeah, I think that should have happened here. Anyway, though, the culminating scene is when Dana goes up to see Flag. She's taken upstairs where... I like the visual. It's a black hallway with a red carpet. And yes, there are scenes in this episode with the further shining carpet. I know everybody's calling that out. Yeah, yeah. But what's interesting to me here is that those colors are what we saw Lloyd and Julian earlier. They were both wearing black and red at the outset of these scenes. Yeah. Well, Lloyd's got his own rendition of the Michael Jackson leather suit, which I absolutely love. I was going to say the Dorothy shoes. Doesn't he have red glittery? Oh, that was before, yeah. Yeah. That was the scene I'm thinking of with the red and black costuming. Oh, okay. Yeah. And the reason I like that, by the way, is just because the stones they're always getting, and I think it's the same here, from Flag, Mm -hmm. is a black stone with this glowing red center. I feel like that should mean more. Did you see any stones on anybody? Nope. Maybe the stones could mean something. Is that how he's listening to everybody? I didn't even see Lloyd's. How he gets in everyone's minds? What? does everyone have a stone or only the key people? And he's turning into animals a lot more in the book so he can watch things inconspicuously. There's a lot more of that crow imagery that, again, they opened up the season with. Did they forget about it? I, a lot of balls dropped. But anyway, back to this scene. Oh, yes. Sorry. Uh, they don't use drones. Remember I was saying there's drone shots? They're crow shots. They use live crows for those. It, sh- it should be. I'm not <laughs> playing. Um, inside the suite, Flag is looking out the window at the strip. He tells Dana he's been watching her ever since she left Boulder. Dana with a Y. Yep, he's talking about Garvey. He knows what she did. The people who come here, they come seeking my protection against the Garveys of the world. And the only way to provide that is to reestablish order. 
Now, I know the charlatan you follow claims there's a way to do that. That's pure kumbaya. Mother Abigail is no charlatan. Now, you still haven't said what you're gonna do to me. I'm gonna send you home. Why does it sound like there's a catch? Dana. Who's the third spy? Who says that there's three? For all you know, there could just be me or maybe a dozen no, others. I know there are two other spies. One of them's an old hag that's been holed up on the edge of the desert for the past few days. Stagger your arrival, huh? Very smart. Who's the other one? You can see so much, but you still can't see that. That must be driving you fucking insane. And she lunges, tries to stab him in the neck with a pair of scissors. This has been done, some version of it, in the book, the 94, where she goes after him. She's got the blade that pops out of her wrist thing mm -hmm. in the 94, and it turns, I think he makes it into a banana in that version. <laughs> um, you can't do it. You can't physically hurt him is the thing, and she knows that there. And in that moment, in all these iterations, is when she realizes the only way to get even with him to take away what he wants is to kill herself. Okay. Great scene. Graphically, really well done. Like, holy shit, with the neck. Mm -hmm. But someone watching this show who didn't read the books, didn't watch the 94, do you know much about Dana? How impactful is this? That's what I mean. If you haven't seen anything about her, well, you saw a really cool scene of her when you first met her, kicking the shit out of that trucker. Then you saw a scene of her willing to go in. Yeah. You're telling me I need to do this, this, and this, and this? Sounds horrible. Where do I sign? And then you get this episode. I just feel like character building. Yeah. A lot of shows that we've been covering or just watching, it's like they forgot about character building. An essential... It means so much more in a Stephen King story than any other. Yeah. And Flag, too, because like I said, his reaction is so strong in the books. There it says, bellowing his rage after she killed herself, Flag kicked her. The yielding, indifferent movement of her body enraged him further. He began to kick her around the room, bellowing, snarling. Sparks began to jump from his hair. As if somewhere inside him, a cyclotron had hummed into life, building up an electrical field and turning him into a battery. His eyes blazed with dark fire. And outside, Lloyd turned pale. He's losing his shit. And he's terrifying. Because he can't... She took away his power. Yeah. He can't do anything. And then... He knows, he's found out that she's been sleeping with Lloyd. And so Lloyd is shitting himself that he has to come mm -hmm. in and talk to Flag now. What is he going to say? He's so scared of him. He tells Lloyd coldly to take out her body and burn it. Just get rid of it. It's a great moment for all three of those characters and for us to start truly being terrified of what's happening here. Yeah, but again, it wouldn't matter if they did it then, if they did it here. Because they didn't show us the counterbalance of what Vegas looks like to everyone else. Well, in our closer look, I'm going to give you a few more sentences about Lloyd and about Flag from the books so we know about the character there. But that's where we're going to leave it for this episode. We're going to switch gears over to Boulder. We open up there by seeing what happened the night before when Teddy tried to call Stu for help over the radio. 
We have Harold flashing back to Teddy telling him to run, and then the aftermath, Nadine ordering him to remove his clothes. Harold sort of doubting this whole scenario. What if the others don't believe his story about what happened to Teddy? They could just leave now, but Nadine cautions they can't fuck this mission up. So it's kind of what we were saying. People are going to know they bypass that because they just find out right away about Teddy. And they think it's a suicide, (laughs) kind of. Stu and Larry are in the amphitheater. They realize Teddy has a bullet through the chest. And Larry thinks, this doesn't really seem like suicide. What they're talking it up to is, is it coincidence this happened right after Heck warned them the devil was coming? There's a lot of things going on here. One, we have a suspicious mind. (laughs) Larry's figuring something out here. Something's not right. What's great is, this is Larry who was all about Harold. So it's not like Larry already hated Harold, so of course he's going to think something's up with Harold. It's the exact opposite. But something is not right. Why would he kill himself? Teddy looked like a happy guy. He was doing all right. It's a weird way to do it. Definitely a weird way to do it. Um, Weird time to do it. They just got the lights up. There's a lot to celebrate about. Something is amok. But what bothers me is how Stu is just... Like you were saying, like he's just like, uh, well, you know, it's about time. I've, Helpless, you know. kind of not onto anything. Yeah, and it, you know, like I said, I like that Larry at first thinks it's the dark man. It's these dark forces. They just had this situation with Heck. It's not until Harold comes up there because Stu sent for him so they could break the news, knowing he was close to Teddy, that Larry starts watching him. I love this scene where Harold's putting on his performance for anyone else, for someone like Stu, it's working 100%. He's fake crying. Teddy was his friend. Some of that emotion is real, so it's working in his favor. But Larry's still picking up on, okay, now my sights are on Harold because that doesn't seem quite right. Well, right away he's like, Teddy wanted to make a a movie theater. Maybe I should do that Mm. tomorrow if he came up with that. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, it's all about emotions. You're not thinking about the future at this point. You're thinking about what just happened. If he came up tomorrow and was like, Stu, I was thinking about Teddy, and he really wanted to do this movie theater, and I think I'd be the right person to take over and, and make his wishes come true. He's ticking boxes. Yeah, and ticking them really fast. We, we do get to see some of the genuine emotion come out with him, and I like that, in his interactions with Nadine. So he goes to talk to her at school, pulls her aside, and wonders why she had to kill Teddy. He would have listened to him. He was my friend, exactly what we were saying. Yeah, we, I could have come up with a storyline, and we came up with a few. I think that was great. There was two moments in this episode where we were like, uh, they're listening to our podcast. We always make that joke. Obviously, it's recorded it before. But that scene there, and then also where Lloyd kept saying, Dana with a Y. Mm-hmm. It's like Lloyd knew I spelled his name wrong. <laughs> and the Don't Fear the Reaper, which everyone must have been asking for. Oh, yeah. But yeah, we see there's a minute here where Harold almost turns on Nadine. But she starts talking him off the ledge, urging him they're so close, they can go to flag soon, and ultimately wins him over by seducing him yet again convincing him to keep it together. And then Harold emerges to find Franny. That's the moment when she invites him over for dinner that night. Meanwhile, Nadine has still been having dreams. There is a nod to what we're talking about, that her dream is first of kissing Larry, showing that she has wanted to be with him. 
But then it switches to Flag. She goes to talk to him again. He assures her the witch's powers are fading. She belongs to him. He picked her when she was 12, and they will always be in this together. She wakes to an empty house. She's calling out for Joe, but concerned to find he's not there. After a panicked search, she finds him at Mother Abigail's house playing piano. Mother Abigail says she's talked with Joe in a way. Uh, I think another call out to his shining ability that Mm. it seems she shares. But Joe never got as far as his name. His mind is muddled and filled with things no child should see. Mother's also noticed how well Nadine cares for Joe and thinks she's made the choice to keep him safe. Nadine has a choice. In fact, we all do until we don't. You have a choice, Nadine. And maybe that's why she runs to Larry's house after. Mm -hmm. She's trying to make a different choice. It's not that I was chosen when I was, what do you say, 12, Mm -hmm. 13, and now I have to abide by flag. This is all great. It's all good, except for the fact that she just killed someone. Hmm. If she wasn't the one that shot someone, I would be rooting for her. Like, yes, go to Larry. Maybe, you know, there's some saving you still. Still. But no, I mean, she's already... It's out of sequence. They're trying to give us background here on Nadine to make us feel for her, what it was like growing up in these group homes, feeling the pull of someone like Mother Abigail, whereas you said we know that should have come earlier. We're mm-hmm. not buying that now. And then the backstory on Larry, which we should have gotten back when we were seeing him form the connection to Joe, him take the guitar. Well, what was going on with him and Nadine at the time? You can't show that now. Mm-hmm. The sequence is killing it for these relationships. I have the same problem when it comes to Mother Abigail because we're getting a couple scenes of her here. We should have gotten this much earlier. She first goes to confront Nick on their secret. They're putting together this spy situation, telling him it's a foolish decision. I told you not to do anything having to do with the dark man until we got the okay from above. And what do y'all do? You go and you send spies. Are you trying to start a war? Why did you do this? What did you think was going to happen? After everything you've seen, after everything you've gone through, you know he can see you. He can see what you've done. My God. Nick, you were supposed to be my voice. The Lord said it was you. And now you talking about y'all sent spies. The Israelites sent spies into Canaan, and it brought them 40 years in the desert. I guess we'll find out what you've wrought. She kind of turns inward. Is this something I've done to offend God? Maybe I'm in the wrong here. Uh, We see her praying, apologizing, saying she would like to atone and be received back into God's confidence. I am your willing recipient. But right after that, she finds herself face-to-face with Flag's snarling wolf. I guess signifying that God is no longer there, protecting her? I mean, they are hinting at that because several times Flag says in this episode she's losing her power. And we are led to believe in the books this is because she's lost her connection because she's sinned. Sinned because she was giving in to the fact that everyone was looking at her as Mother Abigail, the Savior. 
Yeah, there was a big piece of pride there in the books that were missing here. Here, it just feels like everybody went behind her back and turned on her. And you're saying, well, but how was it mother that sinned then? Because we haven't really been getting her. I have a lot of issues with this, with the fact that she leaves. I know you haven't brought that up, but Mm -hmm. I think it, it just coincides here. I had an issue with 94's version too, but not as much, mm-hmm. believe it or not. 94's version of this, she talks to them and tells them she has to leave. Mm-hmm. This one, she abandons everyone. It's absolutely counterintuitive to what Mother Abigail's supposed to be. It's super selfish. I have to leave now to find myself again. What about your flock? I hate this. I hate yeah, the writing of Mother it Abigail. Here. It's diminished any importance of Mother Abigail. Mm -hmm. It's made it blaringly even worse where you have the devil himself on earth with all of his powers and we have a handful of stews and frannies and and larrys that are going to fight this devil. And again, God is just abandoned, I guess. He's done. Yeah, so I I do think it made more sense in the earlier versions because you did see this buildup of her almost buying into the idea that she was a prophet and she was the one to greet people and notice. And what made her question in that version was she had an interaction with Nadine when she first met her coming to Boulder. She greeted her and something strange happened between her and Joe and Nadine. And she was picking up on, I think something's wrong with this woman and then got kind of caught up in her role and missed it and then forgot and she realized later, what else have I been missing? I, I've lost my sense of purpose here. I've sinned. Maybe that is the reason we don't have God's protection right now. And that was the only thing that was important was to follow his path. Yes, the people of Boulder got off on the wrong track. They were more worried about restarting society and turning the lights back on and having these community meetings. But she got off track too. So if she was going to help them, she had to repent and figure out what the true meaning was here. I think I understood that in both of the other versions. I totally get what you're saying here. That doesn't read at all. I'm not sure where they go next, because there's going to be some stuff that needs to involve Mother Abigail without saying too much. I guess we just have to wait and see. Let's talk about our last scenes, which I did think, despite the missing pieces, were the best here, and this is the Harold Franny dinner. First, Franny goes to ask this favor of Larry. She's invited Harold for dinner to keep him busy, and she wants Larry to search the house. (laughs) You want me to to break into Harold's house? Yeah, and search it. Looking for what, exactly? Not sure, exactly. Um, But Larry, I'm, I'm worried about him. I think he might be planning something bad. I know it sounds crazy. Well, I just... Doesn't sound crazy. It's something's off about him. I mean, I, I felt it when I first met him. Even Joe, he was. It doesn't sound crazy. But what's Stu say? And she admits that she didn't tell Stu, who's the new Night Watch captain, so they have given him some sheriff like position, I suppose. And he reluctantly agrees to do this. She's gonna keep him updated over the radio what's going on. So when Harold arrives for dinner, she gives Larry the signal. He's set to go, but Nadine walks in. This is that situation where she kind of throws herself at Larry. She keeps telling him she can't explain why this is so urgent. It won't make sense to him, and in fact, it doesn't. He knows something is wrong. She's not acting like herself. But as you mentioned, he doesn't 
want to take advantage of her. He doesn't want it to be this way. And they need to think about the fact that they both have Joe to care for. So he sends her away, and at the perceived rejection of her last chance, Nadine leaves in sort of a despairing fog. The dinner starts at Franny and Stu's house. They're talking and laughing, trying to put on a good show. They are doing a good job of depicting this is all a bit fake. Everyone is uncomfortable. I don't know, maybe not Stu. (laughs) I don't know how much he's even picking up on what's going on. But it becomes obvious when Harold starts getting drunk and I think lets his facade slip. Honestly, I don't think he was really drunk. Oh, you don't think so? I thought this was an involuntary, he couldn't help it. I think he was stuck in the moment, maybe a little buzzed. But remember, as soon as he gets up to splash his face, he is going to the right spot. He's going to take that bear and put the camera in the, in the eyeball. I meant more of the, the story he tells. Not so much because he's drunk, but his emotion gets away from him. Yeah, I think that has nothing to do with alcohol because mm. that happens to him often. Yeah, but this is not what he wanted Freddie to see. He tells this story about when he was 10 that Franny and Amy took him to the Palace Playland and then for ice cream, where the man behind the counter barely noticed Harold. His whole demeanor changed when Franny entered. He offered her three free ice cream cones. Franny sort of admits, yeah, I, I remember that. But then Harold flatly states, actually, I wasn't there. I was home. You never took me along. You never invited me. It was Amy who told me that story. Everybody just loved Amy, especially my parents. Good thing neither turned out to be immune. They would have had to go on without her. He really, he goes off and sort of realizes that was a bit much. It was obvious. We saw that in episode one that his parents don't give a shit about him. It's Mm -hmm. all about the daughter. And his sister is a horrible sister to him. But let's be honest. Older sisters don't want to take younger brothers out for ice cream. I had two older brothers. They didn't take me out anywhere. And you know what? I don't want to kill people because of that. I I know there's more to it, but this was supposed to be a sob story. And it's like, come on, dude, you were a young kid. Your older sister didn't want to hang with you. It was more about Franny, though, like his own family, his own sister, but then everyone else in his life and the woman he loved. And no one ever even noticed him. Even the guy in the ice cream parlor didn't notice him. He could have been there, not been there. It didn't make a difference to anyone. I get it. All right. Yeah, poor you. You fuck. Well, (laughs) so clearly part of this is staged because now he excuses himself. He's got to go to the bathroom when he really wants to kind of pick around the house a bit. They do buy the story. Oh, too much wine. It's been a tough week. Teddy, blah, 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 sort of shake it off. And as Harold goes upstairs, we get these kind of nice scenes that cut between him and Larry breaking into Harold's house. He's going through Harold's drawers. He finds a T-shirt he remembers Nadine wearing, so he's starting to put the pieces together. Harold, we find out later, has managed to plant his camera in the teddy bear, and he returns downstairs telling Franny he needs to leave. That's the pointed look between the two of them. She worriedly delays, but finally he leaves. She goes over and grabs the radio from Stu. Enough is enough. I've got to warn him. She tells Larry to get out. In his rush, though, Larry knocks over the chess pieces on the dresser rearranging them the best he can and getting out of there. Harold is sure he will catch somebody at home when he gets there, but it's empty, and yet he does realize a chess piece has been moved. Of course he does. Yeah, I mean, all the pieces were demolished, and there's no way Larry remembered where every single one went. It's not even the placement, though. It's just... It's the way he had the piece turned. Yep. It doesn't matter because he has a security system. He has cameras all over the place. 
And one of our Clatchers, Failed Gimmick, said, Question for tech support. How does Harold's whole spying setup work? Yes, everything in his home could be wired up, but to spy on Franny, wouldn't that require Wi-Fi? Surely they don't have wireless internet up and running already. Yeah, so in the last versions, Harold manages to figure out some things. Technologically, electronically, doing research, working on stuff. You get the idea he could pull off some things. I don't know that we've seen any of that here. I don't know about this elaborate system that's going on. Again, we just need shorthand in this show. Failed gimmick is correct because, all right, the cameras in his house means he had to set it up. And these are IP cameras. So they're either recording to the cloud, which there is no cloud at that point. Mm -hmm. So a server. They just got power back last night. Mm -hmm. I know how to set these up with how busy he's been. If I was him, I would still not have it set up already working. Could they be on old school tapes? Like if you had the old school nanny cam thing that he's putting in the teddy bear recording to a... No. A VHS tape. I mean, could that be happening? No. Okay. Because he's he's watching a live feed on his computer. When oh, I thought he was watching a Stu recording on those computers. No, oh. Stu and Franny, yes. But the Larry thing, I was thinking, like, is that tapes that he's watching of what happened at his house? No. In the last hour of recording or something. So where did he get the cameras? How did he set it up already? It's just... I think we're meant to not ask those questions. I mean, they could have just as easily had Larry slip and leave something that lets Harold know it was Larry. The way that, in the books, Franny was there with him, she left a footprint in the dust in the basement where they entered. Mm. And Harold later is intently watching her feet all the time. Mm-hmm. And she notices at one of the meetings, she says something to Stu later. Did you notice Harold like, staring at my feet? He asked me what kind of shoes I was wearing. It was really weird. And Stu, oblivious as ever, no, I don't know. You know, you got big feet, maybe, blah. But he realized the pattern on the bottom, the soles of her shoes, was what he saw in his basement. Yeah. And deduces it the way a smart Harold would. So I think you could have had a version of that here. Sure. I think it's more interesting if he doesn't know who it is. And he's trying to figure it out. But and he has to put it together on his own. And he has a feeling that Franny's involved because he was just at Franny's house. Has a feeling. I think all of that is more fun. Mm-hmm. But we're going to skip over it. Who cares? Because there's four episodes left. Skipping over an awful lot. So let's get to the last scene where Ray arrives. I haven't seen any of Ray. <laughs> to the empty house and the note left by Mother Abigail. Please don't come looking for me. I will be back if it is his will. I love you all. Fuck that. I hate it. Well, yeah, she radios to Stu saying she left us. She feels the same way. They've been abandoned. Who would do that? It makes no sense to the character. Unless she was killed by the wolf. And that was a note that Flag wrote. Oh, that would be interesting, too. I have a little thing that about... That would make it a little better. I have a little thing about her as well. So if you want some more info on all this, stay tuned for our closer look. But for now, we're going to give our dream readings. Probably not going to be great, as you can infer, but on a scale of 1 to 10, Jason, how many dreams do you give episode 5? I'm going to go down on this one. Unfortunately, I have said in the past that, Christina, you know, I find myself agreeing with you, but after I watch the episode, I'm thinking, that was enjoyable. Mm. To be honest with you, I asked you while we were watching it, how much longer on this episode? Mm, It feels like it's so long. And it actually was a longer longer episode. Okay. It just felt like it dragged at times, and I just felt depleted at moments where you're, you're almost like, well, like we were watching The Long Night, yeah. and 
everything was being pulled from your heart and your soul. And you're like, they're ruining You took all everything. the best parts. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I'm going to go seven dream reading. I think that's still generous. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking six and I was like, I can't. I, I Yeah. Well, so I was looking. Lowest I've gone is eight, but I liked this significantly less than blank page. Rotten Tomatoes at a 60, IMDb a 7.5. So I'm going to split the difference. I'm going to give this a 6.5 dreams, my lowest by far. And I can't stress enough how angry I am with Mother Abigail. When I say to you that it feels like they were really, the writers were really interested in Harold and Tom, maybe Franny eventually. Maybe Nadine. It was obvious they did not give a shit about Mother Abigail. Yeah, well, and that's the big thing here. Like we've been saying, if if the essence of this boils down to Mother Abigail and Flag, and those are two characters they are intensely dropping the ball on here, plus getting the weird view of Vegas we've been waiting for that doesn't make sense, not having Trash Can Man, it's just a, a disappointment all around. Now, we'll talk more later about upcomings and what could be going on there, but let's head over to our MVS. Clatchers, as you know by now, every week we ask you via Twitter, at CKC Podcast, who is your MVS? Who made the most valuable stand? This week we have Dana, Flag, Harold, and Franny. In last place, with 0%, wow, is Harold. I'm a little surprised by that, frankly, in an episode where he He, sucks, but he's winning. He is winning, yeah. We hate him. Maybe we hate him so much that we're not even going to vote for him. We're like, <laughs> that fuck could that be. guy. <laughs> I've had enough of him. Coming in third place with 7.7% is Franny. So she's getting that tiny bump we talked about, a little bit of recognition, but she's not winning. She has a intuition that Harold needs to be at least looked at. Which is more than most people seem mm-hmm. to be having right now, and we were frustrated with that. I'm glad to see that she's recognizing it. I like her teaming up with Larry. I just wish they'd handled it more elegantly. And second place with 15.4% is Flag. Well, at this point, it feels like he holds all the cards, pun intended, Hmm. playing cards. If you listen to the Miyagi Dojo, the best offense is defense. But sometimes you need some offense. And it looks like our good team, our bolder team, has no offense right now. And really no defense. Flag seems to be winning on all accounts. Yes, except the wrench thrown in, which I don't think they did this near enough justice. Clearly enough, though, for the people to recognize, Dana was a win for us. Even though we lost this character, we're sad about that, and the impact wasn't as great as we'd hoped. Dana comes first on this poll with 77%. Dana is awesome. Her character is amazing. When I found out who the actress was, I was like, oh, Dana's going to be the shit. Mm. But I have to say again that the writing did not do her justice. We didn't feel that big of a loss because we barely know her at this point. What happened to TV shows? We used to say TV shows are better than movies because it gives you time to develop the characters, to care for your characters, so that when... I almost did a Game of Thrones spoiler, so I'll just forget (laughs) that. When a a certain character that you absolutely love, and you're like, people don't kill these type of characters in movies and TV shows. Not that early. Oh my God, that person's dead. My heart is shattered. It's Dana. We, We got 10 minutes. If you put all of her character roles, all of her character moments together, maybe it's 10, 15 minutes. I don't even know. Screen time. Yeah. And this goes back to the problem we discussed long ago, not just the choppy, nonlinear format 
But the fact that they could have had way more episodes, this is at least a three-season-long story if you want to do it right. The reason that King develops these characters so well is because he has a thousand pages yeah. to give you their journey <laughs> for us to know. You can't do it in four episodes, clearly. And I, you know, I'm thinking maybe people have a little more respect for the 94 series now, looking back at how much more attached we were to certain people. They yeah. did things wrong. They had tropes. They had tons of issues. They had no money. But I was way more attached to a lot of those central characters than I am here. And I felt that was too short as well. What's, why? Especially in this day and age where TV sells more than movies. CBS was willing to give them money. This is a property that's been waiting for so many years to be yeah. readapted, to be brought into the modern times. It's an epic tale, arguably his best that was ever told. Let's say that the defining reason was we have James Marsden, we have these superstars Skarsgård, where we, I don't think we can get them for three years. I never thought I'd say I'd give up a Skarsgård at this point. I'd rather nobody's. To have more. Yeah. Yeah. But really good people, when I say nobody's, I just mean like not expensive people, but really good, talented people. We've fallen in love with shows that had no names, who all of a sudden were big names. Well, Game of Thrones, God. Talk about a bunch of yeah, people, you, characters you, you didn't know. You had some people, but at the start, there was way more that you didn't. Yeah. Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. What do our Clatchers feel about this? We have a voicemail and we have some Twitter comments. If you want to join in, just follow us on Twitter, at CKC Podcast. Join the crew. I promise you we will not ask you to be spies for us and go into Vegas alone, okay? I also promise you we're usually way more positive than we are this episode. Kirk wrote in. Dana is my vote this week. It's so refreshing these days to see someone who pulls their integrity and commitment to a greater good above the personal interests. Although, now that I think about it, a long and slow torture would have probably been in her future had she not. Yeah, and she knew that. She knew that that's what would happen to her, but it wasn't really for personal reasons that she made the decision. No, I think if she didn't kill herself then... They would have tortured her and eventually probably gotten something out of her. Yeah. Yeah. He continues to say, I am finding that the creepier Harold gets, the more I like him. Is it just me? Owen Teague as an actor. I am officially a huge fan. Mm -hmm. And I did some research and he's been in a lot of things I didn't even realize. Yeah, I hadn't been familiar with him either, but I think it's clear it's the Harold show here. So if there's one area we're not complaining about, it's Harold. But also we do hate him. (laughs) Yeah. Hate him in a good way. Melly says, I voted Dana. The ending saddened me, but she took the right decision and protected a lot of people. And herself. Here you go. Because she would definitely have become a slave or been tortured. Harold is just being creepy Harold. He's not taking his active and conscious stand as the others. Oh, and I was forgetting. Dana telling Tom to run, even though he doesn't read. He probably never sees the moon and doesn't know when to come back. Poor Tom. Mm. Also, Jason, thank you for spelling Dana right this time. <laughs> Dana with a Y, sparing us much confusion and sleepless nights. Did you give Flag two Gs? Yes, I did. Yes. That's what's going. Up. Failed gimmick agrees, saying poor Dana. She gave everything she had, including her life for the cause. There were a lot of strong performances this week, but Dana was the best and she will be missed. Finally, E-Man says, wow, that episode was so dark. The Stephen King horror is really coming through now. Dana made the ultimate sacrifice here. That Harold smile at the end is the creepiest smile ever. 
with that music. Yeah. Uh, very depressing, but so well done and so much happened. Can't wait for the podcast analysis. Oh, I'm sorry if you were I'm sorry, into dude. this and we just ruined it. We just took a shit on it. Pooped in your milk. That smile was great. Owen's doing this perfectly, so I almost regret saying this, but when you say that smile, wouldn't it have been awesome if Skarsgård's brother, Bill Skarsgård, was Harold? Oh, he'd make a good Harold, oh, too. There's other changes that need to be made before we change that, because that's Owen is perfect. Yes, here. he is. Hey, guys, longtime listeners here, Bert. I actually have been, gosh, I've been listening to you guys since Westworld, season two, and The Magicians all last year. Um, but I'm so excited that you guys are covering The Stand because I don't have CBS All Access, and I never know if these shows are going to totally creep me out and I won't be able to sleep for the next, like, six months. So you guys do a great job. You Your recaps and the way you dive into things is just outstanding and far better than any of the other podcasts out there that are recapping shows. So keep up the good work. And I'm so happy that I get to listen to you guys and you're in my ears. So, thanks. Bye. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank that's you. That's amazing. So you're not even watching it, but you're listening? Oh, yeah. And I'm, again, I'm sorry about this episode. We're, we're typically not like this, but... That's so cool. Well, if you're interested enough to get CBS All Access for this show, it's not scary at all. So don't worry about that. No, you had the first couple episodes, like we said, they're always a little freakier that are about the pandemic, but I don't think they went over the top in any way. And frankly, no. I haven't really been scared since then. And listen, don't fear the Reaper, <laughs> for real. Just fear Harold. But that brings up some news. It was actually announced in September, but everyone forgot about it. But I think within the next month or so, it's actually going to come true. So it's a bigger deal. CBS All Access is going to be changed to Paramount Plus. Oh. And all that means basically is that we're going to get more movies, Paramount movies, mm -hmm. and some new TV shows, which might be cool. Also, you know, we emailed CBS All Access for three months before this show came out, telling them about us, saying, you know, we should team up. They ignored us. But you're welcome Bunch because a lot of people joined. got screeners. Yeah. And we got joiners for them. You got new subscribers. You're welcome. Thanks for nothing. Oh, well. But, <laughs> Bert, great to have you with us. So glad you're doing Westworld because that is something where we'll keep going with keep it going. whenever yeah. the next season comes back. Thank you so much. Last thing to say, Jason, who is your MVS for this episode? I'm having issues. <laughs> Isn't that every week? Do I say that every week? Basically. I want to give it to Dana because of her sacrifice. But, but then, again, I'm thinking... She went about it all wrong. What did she really accomplish? Nothing, right? Did Here, she I don't know. Like I said, the big thing in the books was getting to Flag in a way no one else had managed yet. Perhaps we'll see that in the future. I wasn't picking that up on this watch. So for those reasons, I'm going to go against the Clatchers probably for the first time ever where they have 0%. I'm going to go Harold because he has magic internet. <laughs> Magic cameras. How you Magic doing that, Harold? Some the dark man's giving him Wi-Fi, Jay. There we go. That's yeah, what we missed yeah. here. And, I mean, um, how do you get Vegas up and running? Magic. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I gave it to Dana last time, and I'm glad that I had the opportunity to do that. I was also playing around with Harold last time because I hadn't given it yet to him. I think it's like we said, as much as you're hating him, he's outsmarting everyone. He's winning. 
I'm not going to get to do this from this point on, so I want to give a major shout-out to Natalie Martinez, who, of course, plays Dana. I think she kicked ass with what she had. Well, as frustrated as we were with this episode, we're sorry about that. We are still eager to see where they go in the future. We have a couple more thoughts, but it's going to take us into the spoiler section. So if you are afraid of that, hopefully we will see you next time when we review episode six. So now we're going to go into the spoiler section because I am in the way of knowing things after all. Not too spoilery yet. We're going to take a closer look at Lloyd and Randall Flagg from the books. As we mentioned, Lloyd was certainly a different character there and also in the 94 played by Miguel Ferrer. He's described as, despite not being very bright, a fact pointed out by Flagg and freely acknowledged by Lloyd himself, he does perceive himself becoming more intelligent and competent while in his service to Flagg. These newfound abilities he attributes to Flagg's mystical influences, but Dana later thinks it's his natural ability to anticipate problems that's only been amplified by his fear of failing Flagg. He feels he owes him a life debt for saving him, so he's fiercely loyal and chooses to remain with him. A big part of that is because of the operation that's going on at Indian Springs. So this is where I do get into real spoilery stuff. There's a huge plot that I think we could be coming to, have to be coming to, which is everything that's going down at Indian Springs in the book. And we see that in the 94 version. They are super organized. And anybody who's not working in town, getting the lights back on, having things up and running, is over at this station where they are working on jets and weapons and whatever that they can use against Boulder. So that's really their main purpose. And on top of Flag's power, they have confidence in his offensive strategies, as you're talking about here, Jay, that Boulder's not even thinking about something like that and, and maybe wouldn't get into that even if they were some type of military offensive. But there is a lot more in the way of Flag's character. Um, starting out with the way he's written in the books, and this goes back to the Stephen King thing. I don't, I don't know. I just love it. They say there was a dark hilarity in his face, perhaps in his heart too. It was the face of a hatefully happy man, a face that radiated a horrible, handsome warmth, a face to make water glasses shatter in the hands of tired truck stop waitresses, to make small children crash their trikes into board fences and then run wailing to their mommies with steak-shaped splinters sticking out of their knees. It was a face guaranteed to make barroom arguments turn bloody. He looked like anybody you would see on the streets, but when he grins, birds fall dead off telephone lines. When he looks at you a certain way, your prostate goes bad and your urine burns. The grass yellows up and dies where he spits. He's always outside. He came out of time, and he doesn't know himself. I don't know, this otherworldly terror, but in a way that's manifest in everyday human calamity. It reminds me of Harold falling off his bike early in this season after the crow flew over him. Things like that are just going to happen whenever Flag's around. But also, when you do come face-to-face -face with him, they tell stories about a man that he looked at for 30 seconds directly in the eyes when he disobeyed him here in Vegas, and he went crazy. Wandered off into the middle of the desert. That was the end of him. Like, just completely, there was nothing left. He was a hollow shell. So... You do know he has the ability to do that. And those who are learning about him in Vegas, they know it as well. You get that side of it, the really terrifying side, and you also get the Mother Abigail side that you were talking about here, Jason. When she leaves in the books, she becomes frustrated that God is no longer speaking to her, saying it's like praying into a dead phone until she has this epiphany that the Boulder Free Zone is not serving their intended purpose. 
the purpose God had in bringing the members together, and somehow her hubris is at its fault. So leaving a note, she disappears into the wilderness to repair her relationship with God so she can begin to receive his instructions clearly once more. Honestly, I, I don't like that either. The abandonment. Yeah, I, and I mean, people took it for abandonment in the books too, but I think you're meant to be frustrated at that point. It's the intent behind the writing, and everything does become clear later on. So That's very biblical. The, <laughs> the way that's right? done, it works for me there. Okay. I, I have yet to see the part two here, so I can't speak about that. Now, that takes me to the last thing I want to say is, unfortunately, I have a feeling the next episode is going to be more in the same vein as this. I have no way to know that. As we said, we have no screeners. We know nothing about what's upcoming. I do know people who got them got six episodes, and it seemed like they felt awful bitter afterwards. I wonder if it's because five and six were not landing great for them. Now, six is also directed by Chris Fisher, and I can't help but feel... Something was really amiss in the direction with this episode. So if he's doing the next one, the good news is seven and eight are both directed by someone else. Vincenzo Natale. We said this in our prepper episode. You might know him from a million things, including Cube, In the Tall Grass, Hannibal, Wayward Pines, Westworld. Yeah. A ton of things I have loved. I learned this from Game of Thrones that there will be a very different feel to all of these. Now... I felt three was a little slow, but I didn't have any real big problems with it. Three and four were both directed by both Bridget Cole and Daniel Crudy. So they had a theme there. You know, these these double episode things, I think it's done a lot. And you can feel that kind of vein running through it. Um, the other good news is my favorite still has been episode one, directed by Josh Boone. And he will be directing the final, episode nine, and nice. written by King himself. So I have more hope for seven and eight, a lot of hope for nine. I have a feeling we just have to get through six next time. Well, Game of Thrones did it well for the most part with multiple directors. But I often say that it's best if you have one director. And I know it's an undertaking Mm. like no other. But Mr. Robot, case in point, continuity. Overall picture. You have to have some kind of unifying vision there. So again, with Game of Thrones, while you did that, you had the showrunners being very involved in making sure that even the different directors had kind of that overall vision mm-hmm. in play. And I do think the overall vision, more than the specific episode directing, even though I'm angry with it here, is the problem. The overall structure and what's left in, what's left out, the understanding of how to tell this story. I think looking forward, I am, while not super happy to go back to Vegas Definitely, yet again, excited to see the trash can, man. They're building this up so much that now I feel like, what? I might be disappointed. I am eager to see what I know is going to happen soon in Boulder. I want to get more of Larry. I'm starting to really like him and enjoy whenever he's on screen. I hope the relationship between him and Franny continues to build up more. Well, what does that title mean to you? The Vigil. The Vigil? It might be changed by the time the episode comes out. That is true, too. Looking at episode titles that we had, as we said from the beginning, it was going to be The Vigil, The Walk, The Stand, and then the final episode. And that really all all relates to the bigger purpose and the mission for some of the people in Boulder. So I have ideas, but I don't know. We're in the spoiler section. I don't know how far you want me to go with. No, no, maybe not. (laughs) 
I think this will be part one of a three-part thing that's going to be all book three. We're still learning this universe. How are we already on the back end? You're in the back end and also looking at that, if that's the back end, the original kind of part one of the ending of the book, I think we're doing away with. And since certain characters have been downplayed here, I guess that makes sense. But I really liked that. So a lot hangs on a new coda. And for the new coda, I think King is going with a different character. I get why he's doing it, but (laughs) I don't know how excited I am for that. Anyway, though, there is more to look forward to still. So until next week, you come see me anytime. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CKC Podcast. And if you'd like to support Jason and Christina and would love even more content, including bonus casts and movie reviews, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash CKC Podcast. This round is on me.